Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, everybody. This is Joe Lynch in the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Today's topic is new school supply chain basics with the supply chain queen, Sherry Heinish. Welcome, Sherry. Hello, Joe. Thank you for having me. We've done this before. I just I screwed up and I did not hit the record button when we started this 10 minutes ago. And so Sherry has to hear all my blather twice. <laughs> We're iterating. We're yeah, iterating. Yes. Yeah, that's one way to say it. <laughs> or screwing it up. I still apologize. Okay. So I'm very excited to interview Sherry. She is very, very knowledgeable. And as any of you are on LinkedIn or uh, some of the other social media platforms know, she is the supply chain queen and she really does know her stuff when it comes to supply chain. I'm looking forward to interviewing her. So your Royal Highness, I know I love saying that. <laughs> you see what I did there, everybody? <laughs> I'm the supply chain queen who's unqueeny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I said you're the rebel queen. You're I'm the, the rebel, rebel queen. queen. Yeah, yeah. It's super cool. You know, this was a nickname that started years ago. And, you know, I wasn't on social media about four years back. And it actually was my husband who said, you should just use the nickname on social media. And he opened the accounts on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and said, just post once a day or once a week. Start small. And it was interesting because I find that a lot of supply chain practitioners and leaders are very uncomfortable posting on social media, as was I. And I think I started with like 100 connections on LinkedIn and literally just shared a point of view, whatever was on my mind, observations in the industry, things that I was learning in school and in client engagements. And and it's just organically happened over a period of four years. It's been an amazing ride, Joe. Yeah. And I'll tell you, your your website, supplychainqueen.com, really has great content and it's authentic. You know, when I say this a lot is when you have brands, sometimes it feels bolted on. I hate when somebody starts to kind of brand their business or themselves as something they really aren't. That's not the case with Sherry. She's got great content and you can see that you will see as we talk that she's very passionate about the things that represent her brand. Sherry, it's interesting. It's a common theme on the Logistics of Logistics podcast that you have to start branding yourself. And that sounds so... I know. When you say <laughs> branding or influencer... It just sounds like it's almost grating. But what it is, is a sharing your expertise, sharing your knowledge and getting out there because we're all going to be looking for jobs, looking for projects. And we just did a podcast, Sherry, and uh, I did it with my executive coach, Ann Holm, and it was called Stop Toiling in Obscurity. And so often you find people who, and Sherry, I suspect you are one of these people who are grinding it out, doing the work in some cubicle at 10 o'clock at night, and you are the expert. You are really knowledgeable, but who knows? Nobody knows. Yeah. And what's interesting is that the older that I get and the more companies I help and even in my own work experience, I find that a lot of times organizational politics floats to the top, not necessarily people who have the skill and the acumen and the demonstrated track record of success. So we need to disrupt that. And that's part of what we're going to talk about today. New school supply chain. Right. 
And it's interesting because if you're busy becoming a supply chain practitioner or a a logistics guy, whatever you're doing, it's already a full-time job. And that's really, you mentioned a paradigm shift. We have to somehow break free from that and say, I'm going to find a way, whether it's every Saturday morning for two hours. I remember when I wrote my first blog post, it was like 2010. And I was my executive coach, Ann Holm, is pushing me out there, texting me every day. I didn't see it yet. I didn't see it yet. And my web guy was saying, where's that blog post? I finally wrote it. And I was honestly concerned as I share my teensy little article that the world was going to like hit me. Like, how dare you, you idiot? We did not want to hear any more from you. And, and what I did got was mostly good feedback. And then I did some webinars and then you do some podcasts, whatever you're doing, get out there and share your knowledge. It's, it's good for the world and it's good for you. Yeah. And if you think about the way that we form relationships and connect, it's through digital networks now. And part of that is social media and networks like LinkedIn So there's never been a better time to start posting and start sharing your point of view, if not to stand out from everyone else and be unique, but also to really form relationships and and people understand who you are and what you stand for and the value that you add to others in the world we share. Excellent. Excellent. So, Sherry, tell us how you became the rebel queen of supply chain. So, I mean, do you want me to go way way back? Where'd you grow up? Uh, Well, first off, tell us about your company before we get started so people know where to look for you. Sure. So supplychainqueen.com. And I also have a podcast, Supply Chain Revolution. I became the supply chain queen in industry because of an ability to simplify the complex and really be a bridge in difficult transformations that included people technology, and also generational shifts, because what you see now is the face of supply chain is changing. You know, you could have an executive who's 55 years old and an intern that walks in the door and knows more than the chief supply chain officer about blockchain and AI ML and all of the cool emerging trends that you hear about in supply chain tech. So, Not only clients, but also colleagues at Rutgers MSSCM program where I got my first master's degree. They said, you're the supply chain queen. You can walk in a room full of PhDs and you have white velvet gloves and you get everyone to get along and, and, you know, (laughs) really unpack complex concepts and complex issues. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that I'm the first woman in my family to go to university on my dad's side. Neither one of my parents went to college. So I grew up in a small town in Maryland, you know, very folksy and really had to bootstrap my way to where I am in my career right now. And I really appreciate having humble beginnings because it makes me appreciate it more. And it also has really been a catalyst for looking at the world through a different lens. And that lens is sustainability, sustainable development and new school supply chain. It's for everyone. Yep. We're going to get to that in just a minute. So Sherry, I know you've got very impressive credentials and I don't want you to, uh, don't be shy. Tell us about all those cool credentials you've earned. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Are you sure? Please. <laughs> I know that we just do the short list because we'd be here all day if you did all of them. <laughs> uh, I hate talking about this because here's the thing. I think that continuous learning is essential 
for any person. But if you have a Wi-Fi connection in a smartphone and you want to learn and you're determined, you can do that. So a lot of what I'm about to say, it can be a proxy for knowledge. I believe that experience still matters and demonstrating the skill that you have still matters, not necessarily checking a box on a resume. So I do have an undergraduate education in business management and supply chain. I have a master's degree in supply chain management. I'm almost finished at Harvard right now, completing my thesis in sustainability and supply chain innovation. I'm a Lean Six Sigma black belt, an IBM design thinking co-creator, PMP. I could go on. I have uh, organizational leadership and human behavior certification from Cornell and I'm a supply chain nerd. Yeah, you've been, you're, you're still a young woman in the. You're too kind. You're, uh, you're still a young woman. You've well. got some very impressive credentials. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I love what you said about you don't necessarily need the credentials. All you need is the knowledge and to have an impact. And I got my dad at a small engineering company and I dropped out of college after my first year because mom and dad said, please come home and help your dad be poor. So I came home and I have my dad uh, at an engineering business and I didn't get my, we ended up closing and I didn't get my undergrad till I was 30 and I didn't get my master's till I was like 37. And I always kind of had this, you know, I worked in automotive where there's everybody's got master's degrees and PhDs. one And I remember always feeling a little less than. And really what I started to realize now more in retrospect as I'm in my 50s, it wasn't anyone like you with very high credentials who said, Joe, you're less than. It was me saying I'm less than. Because all you really have to do is become knowledgeable about whatever tiny area you got that one minute and do a fantastic job. And there's so much good information out there. Even if it's not in your organization, you can find it. Go to Sherry's website. It's on there. (laughs) You know, you're making a great point in that the way that we find people and connect with others and engage with others is changing. And I think that the more comfortable supply chain folks get on social media, you will meet people that have a brilliant point of view. And checking those boxes, it might not been, you know, maybe it's not because they aren't qualified or they can't. It's because they just simply haven't had access in their life. So when you really start to have a more global outlook, you find that there are brilliant people all around us. And that really, I think that the human spirit on fire is more magical than people give it credit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when I was working at a third-party logistics company, it was really during the dark times of the last crisis in 2008. And we wanted to hire somebody with like a financial person and didn't have a huge budget. And it was like, hey, maybe it's just a part-time thing. And I met a woman who was a stay-at-home mom for 18 years. And I remember I talked to her and she was like, I don't know that I know what I'm doing. It's been a long time. I used to be in banking, blah, blah, blah. Well, the more I talked to her, I was like, she's exactly who we need. Mm -hmm. But what's so funny is it's harder to hire someone in their 50s who's been out of the workforce for 18 years. She was the perfect fit. Absolutely. She saved the day over and over again. And I was so impressed. And and so we kind of have this, mindset sometimes that you've got to come from central casting. And what you're saying, Sherry, is, hey, it doesn't matter where you came from. <laughs> Just get- yeah, it doesn't. If you have the right attitude and the propensity to learn, and then also I think, 
You know, we talk, I think we'll get into diversity and inclusion in yep. one of the core themes that I evangelize, but ageism is real. And this could be a byproduct of old school hierarchies in companies. I mean, how often, if I think back on my career, is someone over the age of 50 and under the age of 25 actually in a room together collaborating? It yeah. doesn't happen, but you need that divergence in those perspectives to really be innovative and to come at problems from different angles. Yeah, exactly. And I think also being a guy in his 50s, I think there probably is ageism. I'm sure there is. But I think sometimes those people who are older, if you don't stay current, if you don't kind of embrace new school supply chain basic, <laughs> you, will, talk about you will, you will fall behind. And, you know, it, I've kind of experienced this for somebody who's like, I'm, this is going to sound so ridiculous. I had friends and family member like, I don't do that whole stupid internet thing. And I'm not yeah. talking, saying this in 1990. They were saying this like in 2000. And you're oh, like, yeah. dude, get going. Anyway. I come from a family of farmers, a lot of military folks, and social media is like, eh. <laughs> but you know what? When you think about having access to people and opportunities, there's never been a better time to get on social media and on LinkedIn. I mean, it's a great way to meet other people, like minds, exchange thoughts, and really network and get the next job of your dreams. It's all there on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I've been on it since almost since I think I got on it first because I, I remember they said connect with your friends. And I was like, none of my friends are on here. Collect with your colleagues. Right. <laughs> I, I couldn't find any. I was like, this is stupid. I'm like, so, anyway, Sherry, today's topic is new school supply chain basics. So you as the supply chain queen, you know what the new school supply chain basics are. Please tell us what those are. Sure. So new school supply chain is an approach and a mindset where you're disrupting the we've always done it this way operating model. And when you think about supply chain right now, you can't turn on the television without hearing about supply chain. We've never had a bigger seat at the table. Advances in supply chain like technology, data science, social responsibility, all of these things are considered to be supply chain. So the, the face of the domain is changing. You could be in purchasing, you could be in integrated logistics, warehousing, and we're all in one family. So when you think about the breadth of the supply chain field, the new school shift includes the different faces of supply chain, the different titles, the different regions of the world that are exploring supply chain. And this puts the customer at the center. So you have supply chains with purpose, and you also have leadership, new school leadership that's needed to really change the world. Nice, nice. Sounds pretty impressive. So this is really just a new thinking to start with. And that's it what, is. When you, so what would be some of the main concepts that go with this new thinking? So you might hear a lot about sustainability, and it is important because, it, like I said, it puts people at the center of what you do, and you can do well and do good. So there's a fiscal argument to be made for balancing social environmental causes. And one, I think one thing, Joe, people think that sustainability is expensive, and they also think it's philanthropy, and it's neither of those things. You know, when you, there are a lot of classic levers that supply chain practitioners know, like lean, 
for example. So improving operations, really looking at how you manage resources more efficiently, all of that can be considered a part of corporate sustainability. But then also there's a huge element of risk management, looking at those hot spots in your supplier base and looking at human rights and some of the things that really are happening right now in the world that I don't know that we'll dive into. But there is a business case to be made for sustainability. Another theme that I love to talk about, you guys can't see my pin right now, but I'm wearing uh, the Sustainable Development Goal wheel. And this is a vision that was authored by the United Nations and many, many countries all over the world that forges a bold path for prosperity for everyone, because we are one world in one planet and we're interconnected and we need to start thinking that way. And then also, I think circular economy and diversity and inclusion are really, really important topics in new school supply chain. These are more, when you think about circular economy, we have a linear way of looking at things right now. So it starts at the front end and then you go to the end and there's a lot of value left on the table. But how can we think about things differently and design for zero waste and think about our partners, our trading partners and our network connections? in supply chain interactions and processes. Yeah, Sherry, if I could jump in for just a second. So you talked a lot about sustainability there. And I, I love that because, you know, when I, I actually just recorded another podcast on sustainability basics. So we'll have this to pair with that one. But when you say it's good for business, we're in the logistics and supply chain business. And again, most of my listeners are probably more logistics guys. But what's interesting is we've always had this push to put more units onto a, a truck. We've always wanted to reduce packaging. These are great things for the environment, but it's also great things for business. So we are always looking for ways to save gas, right? Get more fuel efficiency. I know of a trucking company that switched to compressed natural gas. And I thought, well, okay, that's good for the planet. And they're like, it saves us like a dollar a mile. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, so that's a perfect example where it's good for the environment it was good for the business, but also the drivers loved it because they said, I know where I'm picking up, I know where I fuel, and they were going a long way on a tank. And it was like, perfect. So we do a lot of things that are just like that. I think it's, a, this my own thinking, it begins with just measuring some of the basics on that. Absolutely. You know, the other thing, obviously, efficiency is a core thing that we do as supply chainers. I think that there's a tension, though, and this is something that's also tied to the new school supply chain way of thinking, and that's the paradigm shift of price versus value. And if you think about the global nature of supply chains now, and you rely on your supply chain for things like integrity and trust and transparency and things that you can't necessarily see that are out of your immediate purview, do you really know that if a product has the lowest price, that it has the lowest cost? And I don't think that we truly understand that because the reality is a lot of those environmental costs are externalized. So they're passed on to other trading partners. You know, when you think about responsible sourcing, for example, there are classic levers of quality and safety and performance and reputation, right. um, all of those things, they have to be included. And that spans beyond price. 
or a unit price. Yeah, Sherry, one of the things I can say, this is a, con- well, first of all, I spent much of my early career as a design engineer in automotive. And so I always have a sense for how things are made. And I always have a sense for how they were designed. And every once in a while, I think we've all done it, you buy a cheap piece of furniture and you bring it home and then your kids break it. Of course yeah. they do, right? And then I feel really guilty throwing that thing out. And I'm like, uh, you know, and then you kind of go, well, you could recycle it. No, not really. Throw it out. And when I throw it out, I always think this is awful for the environment. So I always think poorly designed, poorly engineered, poorly made stuff hurts the environment. And so just I think that hits on the theme you're talking about is that the price I paid, let's say I paid 100 bucks for that cheap piece of furniture. I used it for a year. The kids broke it. I threw it out. And there's still a cost to it. There's a cost to that being thrown into the environment. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people are confused when they think that being more sustainable includes recycling. So recycling is actually the loop of last resort. Recycling can be very energy intensive. If you don't have the infrastructure in place, it can actually be, you know, not as sustainable as just starting upstream, you know, having a a good product design using materials that are certified sustainable organic, like you need to start upstream. And we know this because as supply chain people, we're all about process, process optimization, process efficiency, and you can't start optimizing during the last step. You really have to rethink things and start upstream. So you're exactly right. Yeah. And I know many years ago when I was still working as an engineer, we would design car parts so they'd be pulled off. And and so we would always have these complex designs with the multiple plastics going together. And then we stopped doing that where we could. So it could be yanked back off the car when it was being recycled at the end of life. And we don't do so much end of life here as they do in Europe, but it's coming and it's so probably a pretty big business already, but it's getting bigger every day. So we all need to consider it. Yeah, and sustainability is becoming a priority, not only for consumers, but also investors. And you think about something as simple as like a Starbucks cup. People want to be able to scan a QR code and they want to know, you know, how was the product sourced? Is child labor involved? Is it compostable? Like they want product information and transparency. And what I find when I talk to some of the largest CPG companies in the world Like if you just look at the top 250, 90% of them are actually producing a corporate social responsibility report. That's that big report that's on their website that's checking boxes, right? But do customers really trust those brands? And that's what they're looking for. Yep. You know, Sherry, you touched on something I think is interesting is this is what the supply chain wants. So most of them in my audience is logistics guys. I know there's some supply chain people. I think we need to start thinking if those big brands, CPGs are looking for it, we need to start providing it. So it's just a matter of time before somebody says, yeah, we're going to get a new 3PL. Sustainability is very important to us. Why? Because it's very important to our customers. So if you say to yourself, oh, Sherry, I don't care. I'm not into that. I don't care. This is all, this is all nonsense. I don't care about sustainability. You should care because it's good business. That's what your customer's customer wants. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 80 to 90% of that product information happens in the supply chain. And so does up to 80% of the revenue. So there's really no other organization 
in my humble opinion, <laughs> that's better positioned to provide this transition. Supply chains power the world and they are the conduit for sustainability. Yep. Yep. So, Sherry, we kind of touched on a lot of these at once. So let's make sure we tick all the boxes here. So we talked about corporate sustainability. Could you and then the next thing we had on our list was circular economy. Talk about that for just a second, just so I make sure I understand for my audience. Yeah. So circular economy is it's a transition away from a take make waste mindset where you really look at value in a different way. And that could be looking at something at the material level. It could be looking at product design. It could be looking at a business model. You guys might have heard of product as a service, uh, businesses like ThreadUp, for example. So you're looking at materials in a new way and you're making sense, fiscal sense, of shifting toward a regenerative or restorative process and actually designing for zero waste when you think about a supply chain end to end and all of those touches and all of those nuances. And circular economy, one thing that I think that people don't understand, but we should talk about, there is a fiscal argument. I just spent the past five months studying regenerative farming which is super cool because I come from immigrant farmers and it's a way of using things naturally and observing and understanding those relationships. I have a tremendous respect for farmers because whether they know it or not, they have supply chain brains. You know, they don't get the respect that they deserve, in my opinion. And when you think about replenishing the earth, it's not just enough to grow sustainably, you actually have to restore soil quality and using things like composting and biochar and green manure. That's that green layer that's on top of a pond or something. All of that, you know, nature has it figured out. There's no waste in nature. We've come here and screwed it up. (laughs) Well, we're fixing it now. (laughs) Well, we're trying to. We're trying to. But um, the point is that this circular economy and circular thinking, it's very pragmatic. Don't waste anything. Mitigate value leakage. It's as simple as that. And it starts upstream in product design. I like it. I like it. So offline, we talked a little bit about sustainable development and SDGs. Do you think you could tell us a little bit about what SDGs are? Yes. So the sustainable development goals are basically a roadmap for sustainable supply chains. And when you think about, through the lens of supply chain, things like responsible consumption and production, ethical labor and trade, transitioning to renewable energy, and really contributing to the communities where you operate in a way where you're reducing those inequities related to economics, gender, quality of life, All of this is framed across 17 goals with 169 related targets. And the thing that I like about the SDGs is ISO is a partner. So there's a performance framework tucked underneath of these. And if you come from a manufacturing background, ISO is a global standard that a lot of us are familiar with. And it really, it's a way that you can collaborate with suppliers and move away from this heavy auditing, you know, in compliance and checking boxes to long-term value creation and shared responsibility. And we start treating people like 
humans again, like neighbors, like stewards, where we care for each other instead of just pounding on the desk for a penny savings unit price. It's a very different mindset. So where did the SDGs come from? From the United Nations. Whoa, impressive. So it stands for Sustainable Development Goals. And yes. and when was that published? That would have been in 2015, I believe. And so are a lot of supply chain companies that we would all be working with are already adopted these or in the process of adopting? I think in the process. So it's interesting because I love the sustainable development goals and I am in Maryland in North America and I had just assumed that everyone else had heard of them. <laughs> but <Nope. laughs> we're, we're, we're slow. Yeah, we're, we don't. I think there's another initiative right now called the Good Life Goals which takes each one of the SDGs and makes it a little bit more um, less visionary and more pragmatic through the lens of consumer behavior, which is super cool because I think that a lot of the people that I speak with, when you talk about sustainable development and sustainability, it can be very ivory tower. Purpose, you know, being visionary, Supply chain people are used to being pragmatic, and it's that headspace of firefighting, solving problems versus stopping and thinking about, okay, how can we prevent this from happening in the future? Let's stop putting out fires. So it's a different headspace, but you find companies like Unilever, for example, who have done a great job in positioning shared responsibility through the lens of the SDGs. And it is a strategic lens where you do well for others, for the communities you serve, and you also do good. Yep. So this is, you know, there is no end to this stuff. It, you begin, you get on the path, you take, begin the journey, whatever you want to call it. And I think this is important to people listening to this podcast who might be more from the logistics space who say, oh, you know, we're just moving loads. You know, I don't have time for this. Your customers are going to ask and they might not ask next month. They might not even ask next year. But at some point, they're going to say, we have sustainable development goals. And we're looking for a 3PL that aligns to those values. And if you can't talk about that, it, by the way, you can't do it overnight. You can't just say, oh, we'll just put it in our PowerPoint and it'll look good. You got to start somewhere. And there's easy ways to begin. And I think we all need to start looking for those easy ways to start. It might be we added one KPI. <laughs> one. <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of folks are looking at CO2 emissions now. And in a study on climate change in corporations with 8,000 companies reporting on climate risk, over 70% of the respondents said that climate change was a source of risk that significantly affected their operations, profits, or costs. So for 3PLs and logistic providers, you're going to find that more companies, as they start reporting and checking that box for that annual CSR report, they're going to want CO2 emissions information. The other thing that I think is super cool is when you think about sustainable supply chain, on average, and this is research that was recently published by Harvard, you're going to see about 35% cost savings and 29% improvement in supplier innovation. Wow, those are big those are big numbers. They're huge numbers and when a company embeds sustainability as a core strategy including the SDGs, there are other benefits like improvement in customer loyalty, employee relations, brand reputation, stakeholder engagement and all of this is tied 
to greater profitability and lower cost of capital. I like those things. Excellent. Excellent. So yeah, get started, everybody. So another thing we talked about offline, Sherry, and I was hoping you could give us a little of your insights on is diversity and inclusion in the supply chain world. Yes. So diversity and inclusion is something that I think we're hearing a lot about right now. But unfortunately, people don't, they don't understand the power of diversity. So Coming from a design thinking background, when you have the same people who look the same, think the same, act the same, same background in the room together, trying to solve a problem, you typically have business as usual thinking. So the whole principle of diversity and inclusion, it's twofold. Number one, you're including people who come from different backgrounds in your supply chain organization. You're inviting them to the dance. And then inclusion means you're actually asking them to dance. So they're in an environment where they can meaningfully participate and feel included and feel like part of the family. Yep. Yeah. As a design engineer in my past life, I remember, oh God, this had to be 30 years ago. I was at Ford Motor Company. We're making one of their first minivans. And I remember we're in the design studio where the styling guys are and some vice president came in and he's big dude, all the, you know, big, big. <laughs> at that time, at that time, being six foot three was very important to the qualifications. Big, big white guy. He sits down in, uh, and he's got a cigar because you could smoke in the building at that time. He sat down in the minivan and he's like, oh, oh, he's, he's making this big fuss about how it's too small and there's no place to put his cigar. And that's funny because finally somebody said, sir, this is really being targeted at moms. <laughs> <laughs> and it was this like, oh my God, like it was one of those emperor new clothes moment where he's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, yeah, of course. And of course I've driven a minivan a lot, but they're the most comfortable cars. But it was crazy because if you don't have somebody in the room who is the actual consumer and our consumers are women, they're minorities, they're they're not just old white guys. And, you know, if you look, that's where the world is. I mean, as we become more colorful in this country, we need to start looking at different perspectives. And especially with women also is women make more car choices than men do. (laughs) The wife always has a say in the car. So, So if you don't have her in the design room, if you don't have her in the boardroom, you're going to miss out. Yeah. I mean, just like you said, the way that we design, the way we lead, the way we hire, the way we think and connect and share, it's all changing. And when you challenge the paradigm for diversity and inclusion, it's really about transforming culture and transforming teams in a way where you're encouraging that divergence and you're embracing it. And you're also including radical collaboration. And that means no matter what your age is, what your race is, your gender, your background, you leave your ego and all that BS at the door when you show up for work and everyone holds hands and gets along. And we need to start having that sort of respect. Yeah. Yep. And I do think it's, it gets one of those things also. It's not, oh, it's good for society. No, it's good for business. It is. Getting different people in the room is good for business. And I, I can say this again as an automotive guy. When I started in automotive, it was just domestic. And then very quickly, we started hiring a lot of Japanese people because they had a big lead in a lot of areas. And then 
engineers tended to be from India and China. And we just kept hiring. And after a while, you looked and you go, this is like the United Nations. It was more fun for one thing. <laughs> but, but on top of that, you had so many different perspectives. You're going to sell in Asia and you're here. How do you do that? It helps to have somebody who's actually lived there, not just Absolutely. visited. I think the other thing, too, when you get a lot of different folks in the room for the first time, you have to be really understanding and come from a place of empathy that sometimes people bring cultural norms or certain perspectives and ideas that they've grown up with. And it doesn't mean that they're intentionally being biased. Maybe they just don't know any better. So I think that there's also an element of patience and empathy that we need to encourage in that new school shift for diversity inclusion. Yep, yep. And besides on potluck days, you get better food. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So one last thing related to your new school basics, and then hopefully you can summarize them for us, is you had leading influencing change. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's interesting because when you actually are put in a position of influencing change, what you find is that old school way of leading through an organizational hierarchy, it doesn't work. It's not effective. You need to get that buy-in. And leading and influencing change can include a few things. Having a new headspace where you understand some of the things that we've talked about, the generational shifts, gender shifts, for example, becoming, I think we're seeing an emergence of digital workplace where people can work from where they feel most comfortable in some jobs. It also includes stewardship. So how are you caring for people? And some of you might have heard of servant leadership, where as a leader, your job is to really be a champion for the people who stand up your organization and advocate for them to be successful. And that looks different for a lot of people. So there's a lot of flexibility in how you meet people in their career path aspirations. I think it's also understanding impacts that your organization has on the world that we share. So including the SDGs, for example, in your formal CSR program and supply chain initiatives. All of those things are wrapped in the way that we lead and influence in new school supply chain. Excellent. Excellent. I like this. Yeah. And I I really think the leadership thing is so important these days. As we all became remote during the (laughs) COVID-19, you know, if you had a a hierarchy where you said, yeah, that guy comes in every morning and he checks, he punches in and I watch him to make sure he does his work all day. And if I didn't, he wouldn't do his work. (laughs) He would goof around on the internet. Well, now he's at home. And, you know, I know we have all these tools to communicate and monitor, but you know, if that's how you're hoping to get the best from your people is monitoring and I, yep, you got here at 730 and you didn't punch out till five o'clock. Is that really what you wanted to measure? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. It, I mean, you hire adults, treat them like adults. I think right. that's the other thing. I remember in industry, it's the same actors, people who come in, you spend 30 minutes eating breakfast and maybe they play around on the internet. Well, so what? You're basically asking people to be in a cage all day, a box. I mean, let people be productive how they feel they can most meaningfully contribute. It sounds pretty easy to me. Um, and, and you see that productivity does increase when you give people that autonomy and that freedom to make decisions. I mean, we really have to get away from just, like you said, 
don't monitor people and, you know, and ride them in a way where it's almost like you're treating them like children. Yeah. You got to go back to that design thinking, though, is if I've created a job where this person is doing basically processing something and you said, really, that's the job of machine learning or AI or some system. Let's get them out of that. Let's get them into the job that a human should have. And again, it really does mean you got to go back to the drawing board on some of those jobs. I want to share a story. I won't name her because she'll probably listen. I know she listens to my (laughs) podcast, but I met a gal and this was during an SAP implementation for sales and operations planning. And long story short, she, I think she had a GED, maybe not. And she worked in a market, $500 million revenue, top market. And she was basically written off in headcount reduction because everyone thought once the technology is implemented, we can reduce our headcount. And what was really interesting about her is that no one could ever put their finger on why that market performed so well. And she was in a purchasing organization, <laughs> purchasing and logistics. So she she had the relationships. She had been in the market for like, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And in other markets where the technology was implemented, this market was outperforming. And I was like, I think it's her. I think it's her. And when you think about the power of influencing and leading in a different way, I had the autonomy to say, well, let's teach her. Let's put her in her leadership role. And she was by far the rock star of the enterprise out of 300 people and literally had a GED, 25, 30 years experience, came from a very small town and rocked it. She was a superstar. And you have to give people who want to do well that opportunity. Because if you don't, you are failing as a leader. You're leaving value on the table for the organization and folks that stand up your company. It's just not right. You have to give people access if they want it. Yeah, I love those kind of stories. And I think it does speak to not everybody comes out of central casting. You know, we, we yes. graduate a ton of supply chain people now, and that's great. But don't discount the guy who's been doing it for 25 years or a gal who's been doing it 25 years who doesn't have a degree in supply chain. They just did it for 25 years. They didn't do it for three years of college. So Exactly. <laughs> maybe they speak a different language as their first language. There's a million all-stars out there. We just got to find them and develop them. Yeah, give them the chance to shine. I will never forget that. She literally, oh, we're Facebook friends still. Like she, <laughs> she, it was a pivotal moment in my career. I was like, oh, she's a rock star. The whole world doesn't <laughs> know about it. She's literally propping up this market. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, again, I love those kind of stories. And it, it's really, that's what makes companies great. I mean, is when you find those all-stars and can develop them. And again, they don't always have to come from central casting. Sherry, this is great stuff. Can you summarize this stuff, the new supply chain basics? And I know we talked about a number of these. Give us a bullet point on each one of those topics and wrap this bad boy up. Sure. So new school supply chain, it disrupts the we've always done it this way operating model. So there's a new way to lead change the way that we think, the way we hire, the way we innovate and design products that flow end to end in supply chains. It also incorporates principles of sustainability and circular economy and sustainable development. And that means that we think about things through the lens of technology and environmental and human impacts. We also need to incorporate diversity and inclusion. And that includes challenging paradigms, old school paradigms that transform culture, 
multidisciplinary teams and encourage diversity and divergence in supply chain networks and organizations. I love it. I love it. So Sherry, tell us about what's going on with you and the supply chain queen business. So I have been really busy because a lot of things have shifted to virtual events. So right now I'm working with Salesforce and UPS and Salonis doing fireside chats, different webinars. I'm very active on social media. I have some supply chain revolution webinars coming up in a series called The Architects for Change. So if you're curious and you want to learn more about these six core themes in new school supply chain, we're actually going to have some free education where you can unpack each concept and have call to action key takeaways and learn more. I love it. And please listen to Sherry's podcast, which is The Supply Chain Revolution. Yes. And remember, she's the rebel queen, not just any queen. (laughs) The queen that's unqueening. Thank you so much, Sherry. This has been wonderful. Again, these are concepts that some of them, again, we've heard. I don't think the circular economy we talk about a lot in uh, logistics and transportation, but we're the ones who are moving that freight, guys. So uh, absolutely, (laughs) we have to be involved in this. And this, again, the ideas of sustainability, you have to start now because you're going to be asked soon what has your company done? And you don't want to be that company saying, oh, we'll make it up as we go along. We're going to, we're going to greenwash our company. Uh, you know, make us right. look like we're doing it. Oh, I should say greenwashing is where you kind of put on a coat of paint like you're green, but you're really not. <laughs> so anyway, now I know why they call you the supply chain queen. Sherry, thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. Yeah, and thanks everyone for listening to my podcast. Your support is very appreciated. Till next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 